0: Welcome to the CTSNet podcast. It's a summer edition, and certainly when I'm on holiday, there's nothing I like to do more than to relax on the CTSNet website, check out all the best content, look at the jams, and check out some videos. And I bet you like the same too. So if you're on holiday, relax, sit back, have a pina colada, and let's get into this week's podcast. the CTS net podcast is full of lots of great content and brilliant uh, videos and we've got lots for you today Uh, so the first journal news item we've got for you is a really interesting Annals of Thoracic Surgery paper entitled Deep Hypothermic Circulator Arrest with Retrograde Cerebral Perfusion. How long is safe? This is published in this week's uh, Annals of Thoracic Surgery. It was selected specially by Editor-in-Chief Joe Chikwi and it's a massive cohort study of patients having deep hypothermic circulatory arrest. Akiko Tanaka and uh, Anthony Estrella are the authors and this is from from the McGovern Medical School UT Health Houston and they have just a huge experience in the retrograde cerebral perfusion technique. This documents 1429 um, ascending auto and arch replacements over a 30-year period uh, with circulator arrest. They go down all the way from down to 20 or even down to 14 degrees centigrade and they always use retrograde cerebral perfusion. They acknowledge that it is pretty controversial um, um, there have been several studies out there in the past uh, and uh, the STS adult cardiac surgery database that had 7,000 patients uh, says that the most common technique is actually antegrade cerebral perfusion 43%, the second most common is nothing 33% and then the third most common the least common is retrograde perfusion 24%. That was why they wanted to write this paper just to show the shape, safety and efficacy. They also have uh, cited a few other papers that tried Tried to show superiority over one technique or another, but they failed. So what did they do? Well, um, they documented their success. This is their standard technique. They've been doing it for 30 years. They run about one and a half litres of retrograde perfusion. Uh, once they've arrested, uh, they say the advantages are there's no cannula in the way. You're not clamping carotid arteries. Uh, and uh, certainly in their series, they thought quite a lot of strokes were embolic. So not manipulating the arteries is, is a big advantage. Um, so what did they find? Well they found the overall operative mortality of these very high-risk procedures is 8.9 percent and the average stroke rate was 8.4 uh, percent. They found that um, when they did less than 20 minutes of retrograde plégia, the stroke rate was less than five percent and really the stroke rate went up in a linear way uh, all the way to 11 percent at 60 minutes and so that was their conclusion that uh, that it's a really good technique. But if you're going to have circulatory rest of above 60 minutes, maybe you should look at other techniques. Uh, of cerebral protection but below 60 minutes it's a safe good technique uh, it's quick it's easy it's reproducible and it uh, keeps clutter out of the surgical field so go check that out um, the really good thing about the three papers we're describing today is they're all available full-text so go click through the link on the CTS net website and you go right to the full-text paper if you're relaxing taking it easy and you want to read a big good paper to decide whether you want to change technique So the second paper we've got for you uh, is another really interesting one. This is in JAMA this month. Uh, Also available full text online and the title is The Association of Socioeconomic Position uh, with Racial and Ethnic Disparities in Survival After Lung Transplant. Now the background to this paper is that uh, the US Congress actually asked for a National Institute of Health sponsored study into this because there's been a recent study by the National Academies of Science, Engineering and Medicine that found that transplant outcomes did vary um, on race, ethnicity and geographics and uh, social uh, inequality and so that was very concerning for them. So they have commissioned this study and it's out this week. Uh, and the Cleveland Clinic were given the job uh, by the NIH of doing this uh, big study. Um, the authors were Carly Lair, Jared Dalton and, and Marianne Vallepour and several others and uh, And what they did is that they went and took. Uh, over a 10-year period, uh, the full database of the U.S. Transplant Registry, so a full U.S. trial looking at inequalities in lung transplant outcomes. Uh, And they very specifically broke them down into ethnic uh, demographics and also um, uh, uh, disparities of wealth as well and they looked at the univariate factors but then they also went and looked to see if uh, balancing everything up whether it still did come out as different. So 19,000 lung transplant uh, cases in this database that's huge. The donors average age 33, the recipients 60. Um, On their database, uh, the biggest group, obviously, is non-Hispanic whites, uh, 60%. Uh, The next biggest uh, is non-Hispanic black individuals, 18%. Then Hispanics are 16%. Big range of other uh, ethnic uh, declared uh, people, but, but those were the big, big groups. And what were the headline findings? Well, interestingly, uh, over the, this big database uh, 50% survival at about five years so that's the current uh, best survival you're getting for lung transplants and, um, and if you look at the Univariate analysis um, the post-transplant mortality rate for for Black recipients is 18% higher than Hispanic recipients, and 11% higher than non-Hispanic. That's univariate mortality rates. Um, you also get worse survival for recipients who receive an organ um, from uh, a donor residing in the um, in the poorest neighborhoods, um, and, uh, and 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 also there are higher rates of death for recipients uh, with non-Hispanic black donors compared with white donors. But this is the most important thing about the finding, is that they then did a very detailed analysis to look at, uh, balancing everything really, multivariate analysis, looking through whether these are just, um, and whether it's more complicated than just the universe, and they did indeed find that. They thought that actually um, when you balance everything up, that uh, socioeconomic position and region of residence didn't explain most of the difference in the post-transplant outcomes. And actually, you could find lots and lots of other reasons uh, for the disparities other than race and socioeconomic status. So, really, their their conclusion is that it's not as simple as the original studies found. So I guess that's reassuring, Uh, but what do you think in your experience? Are you in a transplant unit? Do you see differences uh, based on race, ethnic uh, disparities uh, or do you think it's not as simple as that? Uh, So it's a really good study, it's in JAMA this week, so take a look at it. The third paper we've selected for you, just a little one, uh, but I thought quite interesting. Um, It's in the ICVTS this month. Again, full text, and it's a thoracic paper. The title is uh, Cutting the Inferior Pulmonary Ligament. Um, It does cause pulmonary dysfunction if you do it on the left, but not on the right. Oh, that was interesting. It's a Japanese paper from the Department of Thoracic Surgery from Akita University uh, in Japan by Shoshi Kuriyama and Yoshihiro Minamaya. And, uh, and it was really very simple and it wasn't even that big a study really. They documented very carefully whether they cut the pulmonary ligament or not on left-sided and right-sided uh, and they divided the groups of 213 upper lobectomies uh, into these and they looked on the left and they looked on the right and on the right makes no difference whatsoever but on the left uh, they have documented there's about a 5% FEV1 and FEC drop uh, in left upper lobectomy patients in this small group. Uh, and they also did some really nice studies, they looked at bronchial angle, cross-sectional area of the bronchus, circumference of the bronchus um, and indeed they did find a narrowed bronchus cross-sectional area on the left and circumference. So uh, so maybe cutting the, the pulmonary ligaments uh, does twist this residual lower lobe more uh, compared to if you leave it in place. Really interesting, uh, I do thoracic surgery and uh, I don't care at all about uh, about whether or not I cut the, lig- the ligament, but I always do just to get the lymph nodes. So I never really even considered that it would uh, impair lung function. In fact, I thought if anything, it would make it better. It would make the lower lobe come up and fill the space better but this study says I'm wrong. Maybe I should do my own study. We should have a look at our own practice, although we don't diverge much in our own unit. Quite interesting, I thought. Uh, So those are three papers. Uh, Go check out JANs or check out the email you get every week from CTSnet. So I'll just pause for a message uh, from our CTSnet office about what else you can find on our website. Submissions are now open for CTSNet's annual Innovation Video Competition. The competition rewards surgeons at the cutting edge of cardiothoracic surgery with a $1,000 cash prize, a prominent feature on CTSNet, and an exclusive interview with the judges. Submit your videos showcasing creative solutions, novel surgical approaches, and technological advances in CT surgery by August 31, 2023 for a chance to win. For more information, visit ctsnet.org slash innovation video competition. We've chosen three really interesting videos for you uh, today uh, on your summer holidays, I hope. Relax back, watch it in the plane, download it. You can actually, if you click on the DOI, which is given as the references to these videos, you can download our videos from Vimeo so you don't even have to have Wi-Fi, although it does seem you can't escape Wi-Fi these these days anymore on planes, can you? So check one of these out if you need a little filler in between. in, in between your video selection when you go on your holidays. So, the first video we selected, I thought was quite interesting. It's, it's uh, titled ICG for Interoperative Thoracic Duck, Duct uh, Identification by Justin Oliveira and Osita Onuga um, from Providence St. John's Hospital in the USA. Um, and this video is basically all about how you could simply use some ICG, injecting it uh, to the uh, inguinal area. It's taken up by the lymphatic system and then the ICG within an hour will go into the thoracic duct and it will leak out if you've got a leaky thoracic duct and they show this beautifully in this very elegant video. I was actually a bit of a sceptic of this, I've had to find a few thoracic ducts in my time and I've tried some milk, some sort of uh, different contrast, hasn't really worked very well for me. Um, We've tried to get radiologists to inject between the toes and that hasn't worked so simply injecting in the groin and letting ICG take it up. We've also all got Firefly cameras these days, I thought that was really elegant. And uh, and Justin Oliveira, a medical student, really great job for a medical student, well done, from the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Um, He highlighted one of these typical cases. What a nightmare. It's a 42 year old, bilateral pneumothoraces and fractures. Evacuation of the hemothorax, chest wall plating, sent home six days later, complete chest full of chylothorax. Drain goes in, uh, four litres of kyle comes out. So, that what we all do uh, is nil by mouth, tied and hope it goes away. Well, it didn't. Uh, they then did three talplurid ECs to try and fix it. That didn't work either. And they tried uh, a radiology guided. Um, uh chemical uh fixation of the thoracic duct that didn't work either so the only thing they could do is go in there into this horrible chest it's gonna be stuck it's got talc in it's got everything so what they did they injected the icg and then an hour later they were in and the video spectacular turn on the icg you could see the icg flowing in pure green out of the thoracic duct and yet when you switched it off it all just looked like blood and you couldn't tell at all. So absolutely brilliant, elegant solution. It also shows them suturing and suturing and suturing and eventually uh, the leak stops very dramatically uh, and then they glue it and talc it and, and they fix the patient. So great job, really nice video, a great solution, very easy, nothing technical, don't have to go to radiology, you can just do it yourself. Great job team. Second video we've got for you is a slightly longer video. It's the uh, joint webinar that we performed with the ASAIO webinar with CTSNet, and it was ECPR Building the Team for Success. Um, this was a live webinar that we hosted uh, with this great group, and now we've got it uh, full and available for you online. Uh, so uh, this was led by ASAIO Editor-in-Chief Mark Slaughter from the University of Louisville uh, and he uh, looked into all elements of this CPR method uh, with extracorporeal cardiopulmonary resuscitation and he was joined by some great stellar experts. Uh, they had Jeffrey Keenan from Duke, uh, Brittany Zwischenberger from Duke as well and Jason Smith from University of California uh, and also the two further guests uh, Adam Protos from University of Mississippi and Ashok Kumar from University of Mississippi. They looked at technical pearls, indications, optimizing outcomes, team building and resources uh, and there was also a Q&A session that was answering your questions. So it's about an hour long so check it out. Uh, go click uh, on the links below and have a little look for everything you ever wanted to know uh, about uh, eCPR. Great job team and we hope to do some more uh, videos with this great group in the future. Then the third video we've got for you today uh, is another wonderful video from our very own senior editor Sami Syed. Um, he's paired up with Mina Estefanos, who's done this uh, great video on redo stenotomy with a David valve sparing aortic root replacement. Uh, this patient's an 18 year old. Uh, Sammy had previously done a stenotomy for a perimembranous uh, VSD uh, and resection of subaortic membrane, but as this uh, kid grew, uh, when they got to 18, the aortic root became very dilated. Uh, they weren't bar fans, but they had a very strong family history of aortic dissection, and for that reason, Uh, it was certainly indicated to fix the aortic roots uh, in for the long term but uh, there was uh, a perfect aortic valve the kids 18 what are you gonna do you don't want a biological valve in this you do you want a mechanical valve for the next 80 years well uh, it really probably is the only option is a valve sparing root replacement and so sammy side takes us through his really neat technique uh, reduced anatomy bicaval cannulation on bypass antegrade plegia he then starts off transecting the aorta inspecting the tricuspid leaflets uh, right and left buttons uh, taken away and then he takes um, away the dilated Valsalva tissue leaving about four or five millimeter rim for the re-implantation. He selects a 28 millimeter Valsalva graft um, of note we had Tyrone David coming to visit us uh, two weeks ago where he talked about uh, straight graft versus a bell shaped Valsalva graft, he's certainly got a few strong views on that uh, but here we're using a Valsalva graft um, and and uh, and he and Sammy side tailors the graft, he cuts uh, the majority of the skirt, creates a notch in the area of the right ventricular outflow tract and intraventricular septum and then he re-implants it so he's got six interrupted pledgeted sutures uh, in the horizontal mattress fashion to create the first suture line, uh, he then sutures on the commissures uh, with further 4-O-proline and then he has a second hemostatic line of running 4-O-proline uh, for each of the three sinuses of Valsalva. Then uh, test it all with saline, super important, you've got to have good coaptation heights, uh, got to look like a praying sign, hasn't it? Um, and uh, and and then uh, and then he puts on the buttons ties and away you go uh, really nice technique this took uh, cross clamp time 110 minutes uh, which is pretty good and uh, and lovely post op echo and i hope that lasts this patient a, a good while so well done sammy Side, and if you're interested in valve sparing root replacement check out his video now So upcoming events, Uh, we've got an Adult ECMO very specialist course so if you are are looking to do uh, the ELSO Adult ECMO certification exam uh, then the Woodlands uh, hospital Medical Center in the US, there is a very, very uh, special didactic uh, ECMO specialist course, limited to only 12 people, but super detailed, designed specifically to get you through that certification. Uh, that's on the um, 10th to 11th of August. Go check out their website if you want to join in. Um, There's a Second World Congress of Cardiology and Emergency Medicine in August 19th to 20th in Vancouver, Canada, um, looking at all sorts of elements of uh, of emergency medicine and cardiology. And then uh, something in thoracic surgery, the Duke's Masters of Minimally Invasive Thoracic Surgery is going to go on in the 14th to 16th of September. So Tom D'Amico is going to be joined by many of his pals, obviously Diego, his student, uh, Shanda Blackman, Scott Balderson, Bernie Park, many, many more. I think this will be fantastic, they've been doing this for many many years and it really is a not to miss uh, if you want to know about everything in vats and rats these days. And talking of Diego, where is Diego, the world roving surgeon? He was in Shanghai last week but this week he's back in Lisbon at the Lucidius Hospital and the Nova Medical School doing another vats and rats uh, course. He did six live cases, load of cadaveric labs, and, uh, and that looked like really good, really interesting stuff there. And finally, it leaves me to just give our honourable mention. And our honourable mention goes to Tom Domico. So Tom Domico will be doing his Duke Masters course, but he really is just a god of thoracic surgery. Of note, Tom Domico taught uh, taught uh, Diego everything he knows. And I always find it interesting that actually when uh, Diego invented uniportal surgery at Duke with Tom D'Amico, uh, Tom pretty much did take on uniportal. Portal surgery. The only thing he didn't like was uh, he didn't like the the drain coming out of the uniportal incision so he just made a second hole for that reason but really uh, Tom D'Amico has been pretty much uniportal for for many many years although I understand now he has progressed on to robotics as many of us have but he has been such a wonderful teacher over his 25-30 years he's been very giving of his time he's been an amazing speaker he goes around the world doing conferences he's just an all round awesome great guy uh, and the only warning is don't ever go and try and go running with him as he's far too fast. But uh, you're our honourable mention uh, this week, Tom D'Amico. Uh, great career, amazing guy. And uh, from all of us at CTSNet, congratulations to Tom. And uh, please do tune in next week uh, when I may be back in rainy, drizzly England uh, to go through another of what's best and greatest in cardiothoracic surgery.